Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of Scurry in the Scrub. This is episode 10. Thanks for letting us last yep. this long, first of all. Double digits, baby. Milestone moment. Uh, <laughs> I'm Matt DeMarinis. That's Jordan Scurry. We are your hosts. And today... Hello, hello. Today on the show, we've got Simon Gersberg from shotquality.com, right? It's .com, right? Not .org or anything like that. Not .com. .com. We got .com. It's educational, though, so I feel like you should go .edu on that one. <laughs> All right, I, so. I, I, I got to contact someone about that. Who can, who can I get to? Google or like Yeah, right? Yeah. We .gov, fit, yeah. maybe. That might be a move. <laughs> <laughs> .gov. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. You, you don't want that. You don't want that. Make you this official official. <laughs> .com is a little bit. <laughs> Just have everything in PDF form and stuff. You love it. Um <laughs> Yeah, so Simon is we'll, we'll get into this in a little bit here, but Simon is actually a data analyst for Colgate right now, Colgate basketball. So is that still what you're doing right now? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So Colgate right now is the uh the team that's breaking the mold. <laughs> Currently they sit at 13th in the <laughs> net. Um so the first <laughs> the first thing I have for Simon is like, is this like shot quality dictated breaking the net mold here? Is that why you guys are cracking in here and staying Staying in the top top twenty, top fifteen range, or is it just a sample? Size I mean, <laughs> I, I think it's just a sample size deal, honestly. And we're just playing Patriot League teams as well. I'm, I'm not yeah. trying to disparage our thirteenth net rating, but <laughs> I, I don't. I, I think it just honestly, I just think it shows how stupid net rating is. Honestly, <laughs> thank you. I've been saying this and like with constant backlash, and I keep yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no disrespect to Colgate, but it's like. If we're if we're in late February and they they're only on Patriot League squads at 13th in the net, there's something worth questioning, exactly. in my opinion. But uh, yeah, so uh, I guess like the first thing to start us off, I guess like shot quality. Um, full disclosure, and I've told Simon this, so it's not like I'm gonna bust his chops right here, uh, surprisingly. But um, <laughs> when this thing first like I don't know got some popularity and started to become a little bit mainstream, I was very uh skeptical like i would see some of these um results you would post and uh you know because you have a thing where you kind of like choose a choose one that's kind of way out of whack right like a team lost by 20 that should have won or something like that according to your to your metrics so a lot of a lot of my friends can attest that i've been making fun of this thing for the better part of a year until i finally talked to you and picked (laughs) your brain about it so uh I guess just how did you get into all this and like what what uh, what was the kind of the origin of you um, kind of creating this little metric and how do you how do you go about determining your um, you know your algorithm your all your numbers and everything that goes into basically determining the outcome of, of a performance? Of course, yeah. So I'll start from the beginning, just how I started doing it. So with the Colgate team last season, right before the season started, uh, I started doing it by hand. So the way you calculate it by hand, it's the type of shot multiplied by the percent chance that shot has it going in. So doing this live was ridiculous. So like I would have to watch the I'd watch the game live just sitting on the bench while people are playing basketball. I'm out here writing down numbers on a, on a clipboard, losing my mind. Like I'm like so disoriented, just like trying to figure out all these numbers in my head. Um, after a few weeks of that, I was just like totally exhausted, honestly, and I. Um, I called my dad like leaving practice one day. I was like, I don't, I don't know he's got practice, but I left practice one day. And I, I was just like, there's gotta be a way to automate this. And he's like, yeah, you got to figure this out. And then over like December break, I found out how to do it in Excel uh, just for the Colgate team. And once that happened and I was spitting out numbers for every, every play and every game, um, 
I had some free time in April, obviously during quarantine and was able to mm-hmm. automate it for all of college basketball. So once I did that, obviously um, I would just post random stuff on Twitter, get some action. And once the word started to spread among coaches, it kind of just took off a little bit, which was great. I mean, Creighton was very early on to get in contact with me, like coach Max, all my stuff on Twitter and like bought in very quickly. Yeah, so, so did coach Hussies as well. Yeah. So I guess that's, we'll, we'll get into that in a, in a little bit later, but um did you just, did you just, you know, post stuff on Twitter and then just tag these schools that you were posting about? Is that how you kind of built the, um, or, you know, got the attention for the metric and everything and got coaches asking yeah. about it? I think it was that. And also just like NBA draft stuff, because honestly, mm. I haven't even unlocked a lot of like the potential with the NBA draft with the data set. Uh, just because I don't know how successful these players are going to be in the NBA with just one year of data, like Tyrese Halliburton, for example, like, I had him as like the number one player on my board. So did I. I, I wouldn't yeah. wanted the Bulls to take him. I know. Yes. I was all in. I was all in. Yeah. So I obviously I didn't have data on Lamelo, but even if I did, it would be terrible in the Australian League. Uh, but <laughs> I was all in on Tyrese, and so yeah. like that kind of showed how predictive the shot quality metrics were. Towards okay. Some confirmation. Bias hopefully, we'll see how. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. No, Tyrese was a baller. I was. I loved his game. I didn't know it from an analytical standpoint, but what it what it, when you plugged him into your little into your metric when you were first kind of experimenting with it, what stood out to you about his game? Like why was he number one to you? It was the finishing. Like people just thought of him as like catch and shoot, like playmaking genius, but low key he was like an insane drive to the basket player. And I feel like people just underrated that just because he didn't have like elite quickness, which was something that was just like Mm-hmm. I don't know, a bias from watching rather than actually looking at the data set, seeing that he was like an elite, elite finisher driving the hoop. Gotcha. Yeah, I was a big fan. Jordan, you like Tyrese Harold yeah. too, right? Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I thought he was going to go to the Knicks and like really actually. Oh, I was so pissed. I, I, like, yeah. I'm a big Knicks fan. So, yeah, Are you? So oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. See, I thought he was oh, going to some Knicks Celtics going on here. Okay, this is good. I like Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I like when the Knicks are good, but weirdly enough. But I was just like, I really want – because Stephen A, I think, was the first one I heard bring him up. And so I was like, yeah, I hope he goes to the Knicks and thought that could work. But, hey, he's still balling, so he's doing his he thing. Yes, yes. But you know, so Simon, what I wanted to ask more so though about so because you kind of talk about like the journey, like how you have learned, like just even going from on the notepad to like having to put it in the system, right? Quick, how yeah. much it's grown. What have you learned, like since you've like since it's grown like that quick? Like, is it become easier just to do just because it's a metric you can put in now like that? Yeah, it's insanely quick and easy how it's become, but like yeah. Like when I was doing it for the Colgate team, so obviously by hand took two hours. Yeah. And Excel took 45 minutes a game. And then now it's like manual work. It's 10 seconds. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. That must yeah, be I so mean, relieving. It, it obviously like runs itself. So like I have to wait, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, of manual work, I just click a button. So it's kind of great. Honestly. That's awesome. Yeah. Were you nervous at all when, when you started getting some major, like major college <laughs> attention, like all these coaches that are, you know, in the top 20, top 25 of college basketball are like, you know, interested in your program all of a sudden, were you nervous about how it would hold up under their, or, or by that time they contacted you, were you pretty confident in what you had going? And so so I'm, I'm, I'm obviously very confident. And the reason I was is because my numbers matched. I So let me go back a little bit. So with the Colgate team, yeah, the assistant coach does it by hand as well. So when I started automating in Excel, 
I had to match my Excel numbers to his hand numbers mm-hmm. to make sure that the numbers mm-hmm. worked and it was actually real. Mm-hmm. And once they started matching, uh, then I started automating it for all of college basketball. And then we checked this season. So like the first two games of Colgate, uh, the assistant coach did it by hand again, Coach Glatsky. And his numbers were off by one point of mine for the first game. And the second game were the exact same expected score. So clearly like what is going on in the algorithm is identical to what's actually being uh, going on in the actual game, which sure. was obviously great for the, um, <laughs> the algorithm. For the, for sure. for, yeah. For the metrics. Yeah. For the, for its, uh, oh. for its uh... validity. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. The one thing I'm, the one thing I'm curious about is when you're doing it by hand, what are you, what are you charting? Is it just like, is it just the shot? Uh, is the area of the shot happens plus the, re- and then the result factored in, and then you basically use it, use that to determine whether it was a good shot or not, or how does it? Yeah. Do you- I'll, I'll use, I'll use Jordan as an example, like in game, let's say if I was charting the crane game last season and Jordan took a catch and shoot three, uh, let's say it was semi-contested. Let's say it's like a 35% chance. Is that fair, Jordan? 36. What do you think? 35 okay. is cool. Say 35. We'll 35 say, is cool. say 35. We'll say 35. Um, <laughs> then the shot quality value on that play would be 1.05 because it's 0.35 times three because it's three points. Okay. So that play would be a 1.05 okay. shot. And then obviously that's an easier one, but like floaters that are contested, like it's obviously subjective, but that's why the system is great because it's objective numbers that aren't, aren't polluted by my own biases when I'm watching film, obviously. Yeah. Now I saw Jordan do a do a like a offensive rebound put back dunk in practice one time. What's what's that shot quality like? What's that? Is that a good? That's got to be a one point nine nine. Oh, it's a good shot. Okay. <laughs> Jordan can get up. He's like, what are you six two six three? What's what are you what are you what are you at? Six two. All right, so six, six two. two, so six two going right to the rim and then punching off, off an offensive put back is a one point nine, huh? <laughs> I mean, the dunk is always a really good. Nice. Good All right, for sure. <laughs> get up there, Skr. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. That is interesting, though. So, like, it's and you. So you're saying from three, it's multiplied. So it's if it's say thirty five percent like that three point shot, it's multiplied three times, and then because it's a three point shot, yep. Then it's. And then- you and if it's a two-point shot, you multiply by two. So like ah, a, okay, okay, okay. So like a 45% two-point shot would be worth 0.9. Mm. Ah, okay. Because 0.4 times. I'm sorry if I'm throwing too many numbers out here. No, no you're good. That's what we wanted. So, that's what, yeah, that's what we wanted. <laughs> yeah. No, because so we had we had known just I, – I forget when it was introduced to us at Creighton about just like when Max started tracking it. He, he had done it – I think he started it – had to have been like my sophomore year, honestly. Like yep. he – way back like he he really got into this and he we would watch film and like he said he kind of like using that method like would go through and watch our film and graded each shot a three a two a one like yep. and then it wanted to be over a certain number uh i guess like have you so do you work with some of the players at colgate and like they are aware of like the fact that the coaches and all that are charting these things in games and whatnot so with the players more, I mean, one of my best friends actually at school is one of the better players on the team. So I like mm-hmm. talk to him, but I'm not going to mm-hmm. like, honestly, the Colgate staff believes more in like, <laughs> we have like the best shot selection in the country anyway, just because of the mm-hmm. way that Langle runs it. But like, it's, I think there's a give and take because there's, you don't want to, you just want to bore people with numbers. Like, especially you, Jordan, like imagine like me telling you yeah. like this shot is worth 1.05, yeah. this shot is worth 0.95. So Coach Klatsky honestly doesn't believe in that much in 
telling people explicitly that's a bad shot, that's a good shot with exact numbers. But I think you could still tell players and go over film and say good possession, bad possession, neutral possession. So I have that on the site yeah. for every play ranked. So like in a creating game, let's say Christian Bishop takes a catch and shoot three. I mean, he's not a great shooter. So um, that might be a bad possession for the, for the creating team. And I don't know if Coach Mack would explicitly go over that with uh, Bishop, but it's something that I think players should be aware of for sure. Mm-hmm. So it's result yeah. it's result based, and then you determine whether it's good, uh, good, bad, or neutral essentially. Yeah, that's just like another metric I have. So like, if it's above the sixty sixth percentile, it's a good shot. Okay. If it's below the thirty third, it's a bad shot. So depending on the players' yeah. percentages. So like, when Marcus Zigarowski takes a catch to shoot three, that's a incredibly high value uh-huh. possession obviously mm-hmm. same as like Mitchell Ballack obviously yeah that's what I wanted to I was I was curious about that because I've seen some of the um some of the video breakdowns or whatever <clears throat> and you know they have the the percentages kind of where the shot is taken so does distance matter for threes at all or is it just a blanket three catch and shoot like because this question. gets into it. This gets into something. Great I question. Does Great distance question. matter at all, or do you does it toe the line or half court or what, what's is there a, is there a disparity there at all? So if it's a um, distance does matter. Okay. And it's really just it's like it's like it's varied out. So like seventeen to twenty five feet or whatever. It's like location based. So it's not like the exact location, but it's it's like in a certain um, in a range, range. If that makes yep. sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the follow up to that is. I don't know if you know this or not, but Mitch Ballack actually is Takes like bombs. bombs yes, man. like bombs. Like he detonates from across yeah. the ocean, essentially. So yeah, uh, he does like that is it's a good shot for him. Believe yeah, it is. He's, no, he's he's, <laughs> 12 for, he's twelve for twenty four the last two years from thirty feet and beyond. Like so, what in Mitch's in when you when you're breaking down Mitch's shot quality, uh, like how good is he from that? absurd range where it's like logo territory where he's closer to half court than the three-point line that kind of stuff what do you think his percentile is on catch and shoot threes i'm looking at his page right now. oh my god he pulled up the page i love it what do i think his percentile is on catch and shoots just normal every every single one yeah okay uh dang catch and shoots i mean 99 i would think mitch yep he's 99 <laughs> catch and shoots forget <laughs> right and off the dribble off the dribble threes, he's 95th. So he's oh like absurd. And like what you were saying, the system adjusts based off how they do on each type of shot attempt. So like, okay, let's say a guy's a better off the dribble shooter than catch and shoot. This is like uh-huh. extremely rare. doesn't happen. Uh-huh. There, but there are like anomalies. Like I think there's one guy on like Furman or something. I forgot which team. That's literally a higher off the dribble three-point shooter than catch and shoot. And that's just because he's shot so many off the dribble threes and hit so many of them more so than the catch and shoot. Okay. So you have to do wow. that so much more because otherwise it could just be a small sample, if that makes sense. Okay, that's, sure. how the, that's how the algorithm will move up and down. So with Mitch, yes. so if Mitch is in that, in that, you said there are ranges, right? So if Mitch is in that, let's say 27 to 35 range, what percentile do you think he would land in? He's in the 99th again. So yeah. are you? <laughs> no way anyone else shoots from there and hits. Yeah, there is. That's true. No one really shoots and hits from there, right? He would have to no. be the only one, essentially. That makes a lot of sense when I think about it like that. But it's still ridic- <laughs> it's still ridiculous to hear it said out loud, like 99 percentile from the parking lot, essentially. Yeah. It's absurd. That's crazy. Absurd. So do you watch? No one else, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Jordan. No one else put. No one else pulls up from there. 
Right, his sample size. No, there is no other. Like I think I was going back last year. Peyton Pritchard was was uh, now a Celtic, right? Right, Jordan. Uh, yep. Yes, he is. So like Peyton Pritchard, I think was five of fifteen from thirty to forty last year. So he's like, he's the only one who was even in Mitch's um, even world yeah. essentially, like the same hemisphere. But mm-hmm. Mitch this year is like seven for eleven from that range. So he's even upped it. Like that's. Right. I mean, wow. he's yeah he. He's shooting better from the parking lot than he is from the free throw line, essentially. Like, he's crazy. The one guy in college basketball I'm thinking about, Javante Smart on LSU. Do you know him? Okay, yep, yep. He pulls up from insanely deep, but his percentages aren't even close to um, uh, Mitch's, obviously. Really? Yeah, not even close, let's see. He's in the – okay, I mean, his off-the-dribble 71st percentile, and his catch and shoot's 87, so he's a good catch and shoot, but not as good off-the-dribble. But yeah, so like yeah. you said, in comparison to what we're watching here, because it is crazy. Because I just watch, you know, I watch a lot of Creighton, so Jordan, same way. Like, so our sample sizes are kind of muddled a little bit because we see a lot of that and just you know a little bit of everything else. So you kind of wonder, like, how uh, unusual is it that Mitch shoots from there and hits from there at a high rate? And when you break it all down, it's like, oh yeah, he actually is legitimately. Like you, if you have a conversation with the best shooter about the best shooter in the country, you better not have it without that man's name. Like, oh yeah, being mentioned. So he has to be in there. He has to be in there. So Shot Clark, I think Shot the only Clark guy is a Mitch Pollock fan too, huh? Oh no doubt. I think I think him, Jordan Shackle on. Um, do you know him on San Diego State? He's absurd. He's like Clay yeah. Thompson, honestly. Yeah. And yeah. then the third guy oh. is Corey Kispert. Obviously, I think those are the right. Probably yep. the three best yep. shooters. I think that's spot on. Thought so too. Yeah. That's yeah. Spot on. I would say those yeah. are the best shooters in the country for sure. Mm-hmm. No, Kispert's got that. Funny, Go ahead. funny enough, Matt. I was I was talking to uh, Jalen Windham about uh, the kid from San Diego. San, I mean, San Diego State. San Diego right? State. San Diego State. Yeah. 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 And I was just like, he yeah, hates like, cause like, cause yeah, cause remember how Dub would get hot in practices sometimes and mm-hmm. just go for streaks. I was like, that's that kid reminds me of that, like him, like that. So yeah, those <laughs> are the those are the three. And then Kispert, I had a lot of time playing Kispert and scout team, Simon. So I'm familiar. And I think oh, yeah, those are, those are the three. <laughs> oh, that, that my guy, that guy might be tough to scout for us. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. he's got like a quick... no, he's he's gotten better every year, especially off the dribble too. I know he's like a lottery pick this yeah, year. I feel like, yeah. <clears throat> um, Weirdly, yeah. So, uh, how did the when? How many coaches have gotten behind this thing now? Like, maybe I don't know if you feel comfortable outing teams or anything like that. But how many oh, teams do you feel like are on board with this metric care. and use I it? Have it directly on the website. There's and, no NDAs. <laughs> and when did it? When, like, how many teams are actually using? Yeah. When did the two? first coach like? to uh you know do their thing no just to add to See? what you were saying yeah what'd you say jordan can you, can you add i was sorry that, my bad my bad <laughs> matt i was cutting you off but i was just trying to add to what you were saying just in how many when was the first time uh a coach like reached out to you for some of these stuff to like be like can we start using this yeah i'm trying to think of the first team um okay in total there's around 25 using it yep but the greatest thing about that 25 number is pretty much all of them, I'd say like 20 of the 25 are high major. So like clearly, and it's sort of so cheap for a high major team right now. It's only $400. I think it's just going to trickle down because mm-hmm. the high major teams are just the ones with like the social media presence more so on Twitter. Maybe I, I don't really know why, but most of them are those high major teams, like teams like Indiana, Texas, Stanford, uh, Xavier, Arizona. Like these are some like the biggest 
high major school. So it's just pretty crazy that they latched onto this so early. Mm-hmm. So you think it's all because of the social media following them? They're they're on there. They they, they talk to you. They liked it, so they got on board. I think it's a lot of word word of mouth as well. Um, yeah. Just like randomly. I mean, just how like Coach Mac mentioned your name, my name to you, like randomly, like right. Yeah. yeah. It's just like word of mouth things. Of, like I can't even like. And obviously, I'm not sure, but it's what I imagine. No, he told me about it, and I was like, dude, I've been, yeah, I've been making fun of that thing the whole season. What are you doing? He's like, no, you got to talk to this dude. I'm like, okay, if you say so. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, just picking your brain. I'm like, yeah, yeah I'm when did probably a little wrong? Go ahead. Wait, so when when did Matt get behind it? How far back was that? Because I remember he brought, like I was saying, he had to have brought it up like sophomore year. That was so. I had a conversation with him and Coach Huss in October, and mm-hmm. he was telling me Coach Huss was basically breaking down his system, like you were mentioning, like the one to three or whatever. And Coach Huss, like uh, ten yeah. minutes in, ten minutes into my pitch, goes to Mac and he's like, "Yeah, like what this kid is doing is like fifty times more advanced than what we were doing before." Like he was like, "Oh, like he, okay." Like it was so early that he was just like, "Yeah, this kid has like ninety-five different variables, and we're just like charting like one to three. So I think it was a pretty easy transition for them, honestly. Oh, okay. See, because that's what I've been trying to piece together here. Like, I've been like, wait, because we started doing this back, like, the one to three, just that value. Yeah. And then, so now that's crazy because I'm not even, obviously, not there now, like, graduated last year. So, like, to know that we never even used it as far as advanced as, like, as when I was there, but now they are, like, as advanced as your stuff is, like, so yep. that's, that's crazy. I didn't even know. Yeah, I think a lot of the teams that did, because there are so many teams in college basketball that do this one to five or one to three, yeah, like yeah. shot quality scale. Yeah. So I think that those are the teams that are going to latch on to the shot quality site more so because they know the value of calculating the quality of shots, but now they just have an automated so way of doing it rather than doing yeah, it by hand. Taking it a step further. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Let's see that. So I'm, cur- I'm curious about a couple things. One, how big is your sample size that you've been able to plug into here to your metric and get basically, you know, a baseline for certain teams and off of that uh, just for starters, does what kind of variables go into it? Like, you know, different gyms have different sight lines, um, you know, crowds, uh, crowd sizes and things like that. You, cause it's kind of a weird time right now. There aren't really home court advantages these days because of the, because of the COVID-19 pandemic. So I guess how much, uh, how much still would probably go into some of these uh, variations of your, of your data based on just, you know, these, you know, like I said, sight lines, crowds, uh, different yep. type, different yep. type of stuff, whatever. You can so make. the, so the only quantify like quantifiable, like variable with home court is foul. So Jordan, I'd be interested if you've noticed this, so this is just like a random study that was done like a few years ago. Basically, you're 7% more likely to get a foul drawn at home than away. And conversely, you get 7% less fouls drawn on away. So that is included in the algorithm. So basically, like if somebody drives to the hoop, they'll be bumped up 7% uh, that they'll be okay. draw a foul compared to somebody on from the away team who drives to the hoop, if that makes sense. Definitely have felt that on the road, but like you just, I didn't know that's the you don't exact. know, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but exactly. no, it's good to put a percentage to it, it's good to have a real number to it, exactly. Yeah, so that's the only that's variable good. so far. Like, so that's how, how, how have your, how have your, uh, your metrics held up on, let's say, uh, um, you know, like MTEs, you know, neutral court 
type of games and things like that. Like, you know, if you get an NCAA tournament where, you know, the pressure's on, the stakes are high, the crowd is engaged, but it's not necessarily rooting for or against you. It's just kind of loud and, you know, maybe distracting. Does, does do you anticipate any changes to your, to your performance metrics based on those type of situations? I mean, that's just something that's like so unquantifiable, but I would love to, like, that would be like yeah. the next, like, like if I like, honestly, like senior year, like I'm going to be doing like a thesis on something with shot quality and I need something like that, like the hot hand, like something that's like a psychological, um, psychological factor in the game, like crowd noise, how that affects the quality of shot, stuff like that. Like I really want to look into stuff like that. It's just hard to quantify right now. Sure. And I can't, I'm not going to, let's say Michigan, Ohio state are tied 65, 65. I'm not sure if Michigan's less likely to make a shot just because they're tie game with two minutes left there's like no proof of that at this mm-hmm. point in time so mm-hmm. i can't do anything to the algorithm to like do anything like that but you do anticipate trying to work that into it in the future just because, yes. it, just yes. because your sample size will increase and your situations will change exactly so i'll have more i'll have more capability <clears throat> to look at something like that i mean i still do have like a season and a half of data now because last season and then whatever three quarters of this season which is pretty good amount um but i just haven't looked at something like that individually yeah. Were you nervous about launching with a, I don't know. Were you nervous about the size of your sample and prior to launching, did you feel like you could, the thing could hold up or were you pretty confident that as more attention drew to this despite, cause like I said, the first thing I saw to it, and I think I've seen this a lot in your, in your mentions is like, you'll post a, a game that was, you know, I think I want to, I want to say Tennessee and Florida was one. So Tennessee and Florida was just, I mean, Tennessee didn't yeah. even score 50 Florida wiped them out. Um, but in your, in your, uh, in your metrics, Tennessee should have won that game. I don't know what the percentages was, but easily the majority of the time based on the quality of shots each team took and, and made. So <clears throat> do you, did you, before launching, did you worry about how it would hold up under public scrutiny and all that type of, type of deal? I wasn't, I mean, obviously like fans are going to be fans, but like, I'm not worried about that because I know it's so predictive to winning. So like it, it, like it's their choice to not believe in it, but I know like the correlation to winning and I wouldn't put it out if it wasn't high enough and match the Colgate coaches numbers as well. So like, I know it's real, uh, but obviously all I can do is put it out there and see how they respond. I think a better example than Tennessee is honestly Alabama. So like at the beginning of the year, I don't know if I've told this to you, Matt yet, but at the beginning of the year, Alabama started four and two. Mm Mm-hmm. But based off the shots they got in those four and two games, no, actually they started three and five. They started three and five, but based off the sh- no five and three, they started five and three. But based off the shots they got in those eight games, they were supposed to win all eight. Oh, really? So they were clearly better than their record said they were. Mm-hmm. And Vegas was probably undervaluing them because they were five and three. Uh, but like based off the shots they were getting, they should have won all those games handily. So it just demonstrated the fact that. Um, Alabama is a really good team and now they are like the best in the SEC. Yeah. So handily. So you're, you determine, do you determine scores too, not just results? Yeah. So like, it's the expected score. So like the okay. Stanford game, they lost by, this is like one of the craziest games. This is like the first crazy game I posted, I think. Really? They lost by 18. Yep. But based off the shots they got, they were supposed to win by nine. So like after wow. that game, that ESPN game, like, I got all these random like DMs, like, how is that possible? But I'm just like, well, they went eight for 50 from three. So that's how it's possible. Like, <laughs> yeah. 27 points though. That's pretty crazy. Like it is a big swing. It. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's what happens when you, when your team shoots that many threes and you miss that many, it's just mm-hmm. going to be a lot of variability, obviously. 
I will say I definitely appreciate it now seeing it on Twitter and even like yesterday, like after once I first got put onto it, like Matt, obviously we had a bunch of conversations about it earlier on when it was coming out. But I, I really appreciate it now just because we had like I'm saying we had heard it so many times. And when I think back to some like like the my Crane teams, it's like we had those games where it was like, oh, we got all the shots we wanted. We really like we just they just didn't hit. Right. And it's like it's one thing to just say that. But now to have a stat to back it up, it's like, no, we we weren't hitting like like mom, like we weren't hit, like and here's a stat. That shows, like, look, look, you guys play like crap. No, shows. we didn't. It's like, no, here's a stat that shows we, we played well. We just we weren't hitting. Exactly. You know? And it's like it's so uh, no, nah, I, 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 I always awesome. use I always use that example in like a half like not even a halftime locker, but post game locker room. They're just sitting there like, how did we lose to 10? Uh, how do we lose by 10 to yes. Seton Hall? How exactly. is that possible? Exactly. And then you look at you look at the box score. You're like, oh, we went two for 30 from three. Oh, here's the shot quality score. And it just, it just it's a it's like a bittersweet feeling. And that, that's why a lot of fans and maybe coaches yeah. get upset by it. But it's important to know if you're actually getting better quality shots or you're just getting lucky. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, that's what I wanted to get into here. And, it, and it's funny because I look at – I just watch – I don't know if it's changed the way I analyze Creighton's performances or not. I'm sure it has like subconsciously because Mac has, you know, been, has. if I, if I just went back and made a super clip of all the times he said quality of shot or shot quality and some variation of that, like Simon, <laughs> you'd like shut your site down. Like he said it so much. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's, it's, I'm constantly now like hyper aware of whether that was a, when I watch a play happen, uh, I don't know. I almost like can't even focus on whether it goes in or not. I'm because I'm stuck on like whether they should have shot that ball or not. I'm stuck on yeah. whether it was a good shot or a bad shot. And then all of a sudden, yeah. like, yeah, you realize, like, I mean, it's like I think Villanova, Villanova is probably a team that takes good, good shots, but because they all have a lot of good shooters. But I've always felt like Villanova will take a lot of shots that not a lot of teams can take, but be, it's because of how good they are as shooters. Like, they'll take that 2018 team that won the national title. They took contested threes like all live long day. You know what I'm saying? That's not yeah. a good shot for 98% of the country, but because they have, you know, four leaguers on their roster, that's a good shot for them because they can hit all those things. So it's like, I mean, I go through that in my mind. It's not as simple as like, like when people like, obviously I have a stat that's like rim and three rate and stuff like that, but it's not as simple as if you get shots at the rim and three, you're going to be a good team. Right. Mississippi Valley State shoots like 55% of their shots are threes and they're the worst team in the country. So it's not as simple as that. It's about the quality of looks you're getting at the rim in three, which Creighton is just unreal. And even if you take mid range, like there are particular players that are good enough at mid range where it's a good shot. Moses Moody on, uh, on Arkansas. Yeah. His mid range shot his like short mid range shot is actually more valuable than a Mitchell Ballack off the dribble three, which is, absolutely bonkers to me because a short mid-range wow. shot you wouldn't expect would even no. be close to the best one of the best off the dribble three-point shooters in the league yeah. so it's kind of crazy how those numbers back it up and i mean it's just the guy doesn't miss some short mid-range obviously so if you were to range out percentiles uh based on all three levels of scoring rim mid-range and three who's who's the one that kind of stacks out as the most consistent offense in the country right now who would you say is the the most potent three-level scoring offense in the country, if you can look at that. Yeah, um, it's Iowa or Gonzaga. It's okay. like not – like I, I mean, I, I think – Iowa, Gonzaga, and uh, then a gap right there? 
Yeah, so, I think it's Iowa, Gonzaga, then it's a tier, and then it's Baylor and Creighton, if I had to put put names on it. Like, I, I, I honestly think Creighton, just based on the numbers and the quality of shots they get, I mean, they're in the 99th percentile of college basketball, the shots that they get. On the overall. Board. So, like, overall. yeah, so they're the fourth or third best team tied with Baylor. But I think Iowa and Gonzaga are just on another level. Just the offense they run, it's just like those are the teams that are going to be scary for Creighton and Torney for sure. Gotcha. So those are the teams that can score at all three levels at basically an absurd – absurd yes. uh degree interesting it's just like just imagine the iowa offense like you throw to luca it's like a it's an 80 shot if he shoots it and if he passes it it's a wide open catch and three catch and shoot three for what we's camp who's like 45 percent. like their offense is just yeah. absurd so mm-hmm. I, I mean i think that would be the most incredible game iowa versus Creighton. i would i would <laughs> i would try to see that game in the tournament. a lot of people i want would, that's like a my that's my dream would. final four this year because of like how awesome those teams are offensively like iowa gonzaga yeah. baylor any variation of the, that that grouping uh would be kick-ass games right there that's just like modern basketball Man. to me i've been like freaking out for the tournament i'm just so excited like i can't even like i can't even like imagine like i Oh, like past years, like I, yeah, I like basketball and I like, like I did my research before the tourney, but this year it's just like, I know who, I know like Mississippi Valley State's like record right now. Like that's absurd. Yeah. Like, I, like I, I've, yeah, you're in it. You're in it, man. You're in it. I, I, I'm obsessed now, honestly. I'm, I'm locked in. <laughs> so I, awesome. I, I think if I recall, Iowa Gonzaga is one of your games that maybe this might surprise people, but you didn't have that result going the way it went. I think everybody would say Gonzaga dominated that game and, you know, uh, looked like basically a fringe NBA roster. On, typical on Gonzaga. Court. Yeah, yep. typical Gonzaga, right. You actually had Iowa winning that based on expected score, didn't you? Yes, I did. Yeah, that was a big difference. So, yeah, uh, Gonzaga won by 11 based off the shots taken. Iowa was supposed to win by – no, Gonzaga won by 11 based off the shots taken. Gonzaga was supposed to lose by – 16 so that's a huge difference honestly. wow really and that was because Jalen Suggs outperformed his expectation like in terms of shooting Drew Timmy outperformed his expectation and Luca totally underperformed his expectation based off the numbers he's been putting up to that point in all season so it was just it was kind of an anomaly game where Gonzaga really outplayed and Iowa underplayed which is just rare I guess for them yeah so that's one of the other questions I have or I had about it because I saw the sample size and I'm like oh, well hold up because teams bring in, especially in college, you have the one and duns and, um, you know, you have like a Kentucky that'll have, or a Duke that'll have four or five new freshmen playing large roles every season. So with Jalen Suggs, you said he outperformed um, his baseline against Iowa, right? How do you determine yeah. a credible baseline for a new player like Jalen Suggs? Or that's a, a great question. Yeah. So that's, so it takes time. Uh, it takes around five shots in each area to learn the system. So basically, let's say a guy hits their first five threes. They're not going to skyrocket to the 100th percentile in that area, but because oh. they've only had five attempts, they might move up to the 60th or 65th. So it takes time in each area to move in the algorithm, which is the way it should be because right. it could just be uh, out of expectation shooting. And that's why it gets really confusing, honestly, but um, – that's why everything's regressed towards the mean, which is how uh, quality of shots should be. Like someone like Corey Kispert, like <laughs> because he had such great numbers last season, uh, I knew his area and I had so much data on him. This season was valued more, 
but he had less room to move up and down while someone like Jalen Suggs is almost like a clean sheet. So he's going to move up and down quicker, obviously. Sure, right. There's going to be more variation. So, so, so I, pull, the- I just pulled up the numbers. Oh, sorry, Jordan. Uh, I just pulled up the oh, Iowa Gonzaga quickly. In this game, Iowa shot four for 22 from three. Gonzaga yep. shot 50% from three. So, I mean, that, like 18 threes, and they probably should have four more, and that's the difference, honestly. Mm. Based on so, expectations, so, it was a random game, but yeah. So just based on that, it would work like it's better. Shot quality would just like this metric works better when you have more. Like it works better for a four-year guy than a, obviously freshman, like or a dude who's just yeah, coming, like a Jalen Suggs. First, I think I think more so in the first three games of a freshman. So like at that point, Gonzaga had already played like seven games, I yeah. think. So it wasn't like an absurdly small sample size for Jalen Suggs. Uh, but for a guy like Jalen Suggs' first game, he's going to be in the 50th or 45th percentile variable until the algorithm learns his areas. So uh-huh. maybe it'll take two games for Jalen Suggs to figure out what his air, good and bad areas are. So I'm, I'm the, not getting too many numbers out of you guys. I'm just no, throw them all. No, no, no. I want good, yeah. So that's the one thing. I'm, I'm curious oh. about that because <clears throat> it's kind of like what Jordan just said there. Uh, someone who has a larger sample size would benefit more from this metric than someone who's new yeah. to college basketball because they know where their spots are essentially. So I'm curious if that has, if, if you've seen team-based improvement of the schools that use this program throughout the season, because they've been able to learn and teach what good shots and bad shots are based on what you're showing them. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I can tell you like Duke, Duke is actually a great example of where they have a lot of freshmen every year, yeah. but they were still getting great quality shots at the, like the first six games. They were also, but there's just a win all of them, even though that they were four and two. So basically it's not as simple as like, okay, this freshman, because it's just such a minuscule difference from the 50th to the 60th in one game. Okay. It's like a 0.001 difference for that game. And then the next game, it'll learn it. So it's such a minuscule difference for those first couple games for freshmen that it doesn't actually impact the score significantly. If that makes sense. Gotcha. Yeah. So the one other thing that jumps out to me in, in one of these metrics that I'm curious about is uh, your record luck. Um, yeah. Your record luck metric. So can you explain what that is? I think if you have a scale, it's like positive 15, negative 15, then 10, five, zero in between on each side. So what is record luck and, how does it, I don't know, maybe predict what you're expecting going forward, I guess. Yeah. So I think this is probably the most predictive stat for, for teams that are either doing poorly or or playing worse than expectation or better than expectation. So I'll give an example, George Washington, uh, GW random team in the eight to 10. They're three and nine this season, but based off the shots they've been getting, they are supposed to be a seven and five win team. Interesting. So basically they have just been super unlucky, lost a bunch of close games and also just have been so unlucky with the shots that have been falling and haven't been falling for their opponent and themselves. So they're a team to bet on in Vegas. So like today they played Rhode Island. Rhode Island was favored by nine points. GW won by nine points. Really? Okay. Yeah. It was just a random game. So like, that's why the predictive stuff is going to be big with shot quality. um, Mm -hmm. However it works out. So when you look at, I think Iowa State was one team that has a negative, uh, or no, they're a positive regression, right? Let's say, so yeah, they're they two, they're, they're what two and sixteen right now. So you, what do you, what's your expected win win record, win loss record for them? 
based on the so there are five there are five win teams. So they're not like a very good team, but they're still they're expected three more wins than they currently have. Interesting. What Big Twelve games? I don't think they've won in the Big Twelve yet. What Big Twelve games are they expected to win that they haven't won so far? If any. So a lot of it. <laughs> that's the thing. A lot of them. They actually haven't been expected to win one Big 12 game, but because, <laughs> but listen to this, but because it's like 30%, so like against West Virginia, um, it was a 35% chance of winning. Uh-huh. Against um, TCU, it was 26%. So these add up to a win over the course of like eight games. Okay, okay. It's not about win-loss. It's about the quality of looks you're getting over that course of time. Yeah. So eventually luck works in your favor as much as it works against you. So all that together would equal exactly a win out of that, it's, out of that group. It's kind of funny though. <laughs> exactly. It's funny that the, uh, like that team actually hasn't been expected to win a game and they haven't, yeah. but they're still a positive regression team because that would be crazy to lose all those games. Even though it, well, that's what I saw. I was like, wait a minute, they're two and 16. They have a positive regression still. It's crazy. Um, yeah, exactly. well, Creighton's another team that has a positive regression right now. I think they're plus 3.8 or something like that. Yeah. Um, so what do you, what, when you assess, this is kind of what I want to get into now because <clears throat> we can get into a little NCAA tournament talk is like some of your favorite teams. And I want to start with Creighton. Um, they're plus 3.1 right, right now in, in your record luck. So what, what do you see as their predictive, um, future? Like, do they, are they, are they right where you expect them to be? Are they under where they should be? And like, how far does a team that has their type of metrics in your system go? So they are supposedly one win better than they currently have. And they're the best team in the big East based off the quality of looks. Um, so basically they, the game, the biggest difference in one of their games was that Providence game that they lost by four. Jordan, I'm sure if you were in that locker room, that would be a perfect example of like, damn, we got good looks, but um, yeah. I don't, I don't know what to tell you, mom. It's funny. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Like time That's out. It's funny. Cause Jordan was actually texting me in that game. Like he was not worried at all. Like That's he so was, funny. he was yeah. like, they, he was like, we got this. Like we're getting all these looks. We're getting, I think he was talking just like that. We hadn't even talked we were about getting great looks, but it was just that they dug themselves into that hole. So early on. Yeah. yeah, yeah so- he, Jordan was, I, if we go back in the text, Jordan was supremely confident. Basically, even after the dug a twenty three to six hole, he was like, "They got this. They're they're playing fine. They're gonna they're gonna win." And I was like, "No." But they, I, I was like, I'll, and "My response was, Simon will laugh at this." My response was, "The basketball gods don't forgive that first eight minutes." And Simon would probably roll his eyes at that because, like, that's we don't that's not even numbers based. That's just nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, Jordan Jordan was on the Jordan was on the shot quality wagon. Then he was like, "Creighton's gonna win this game." So, what? How did how did Providence? How much of a shock to your to your metric was Providence winning that game the way it did. So basically based on the shots, both teams took Creighton had an 83% chance of winning. So Jesus. they got like, yeah, so they, they got, they were supposed to get 12 more points than Providence based off the expected score. So clearly they just that got was, better shots and it just didn't like Denzel Mahoney in this game. This is so yeah. hit five points uh, based off the shots he took. He was supposed to have 15. Really? So he must have just missed bunnies that he doesn't miss. That's the difference. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So does it factor in like you know Providence is a more always a more longer physical team than Creighton? That's just the way the it matchup does, yeah. picked up. So does your does your algorithm adjust for the matchup at all, or does it just say, well, 100%. here's where Denzel? Oh, really? No, no, that's like one of the biggest variables, honestly, because wow. when Luca Garza takes a shot against, I actually use this example today in like a DM. If Luca Garza takes a shot against Mississippi Valley State compared to Michigan, it's like. 
a 50% difference in making it. Against Mississippi Valley State, he's not missing that shot, like, no matter where it is. But against Michigan, it's probably, like, a decent shot because they have the best interior defense in the league. So it totally okay. adjusts based off the quality of interior defense. Wow. And, like, Paul Nate Watson being, like, an insanely large human being that blocks every shot, like, that's obviously going to have an impact when Benzo Mahoney takes a shot in the paint. If that makes sense. But you still had him as expected to score 15 points. Uh, but he still was supposed to score 10 more, <laughs> yeah, even with that. Wow. Yeah. So one of the themes I'm noticing here, though, is like because we talked about if you talk about the Creighton, the loss at Providence or loss to Providence, and then uh, the Gonzaga and then Iowa game, we talked about where these guys have like whether it's Denzel has this five point game or Luca Garza like has this dud of a game. Like, how much of that have you noticed? Is that like a common theme in these games that are like? teams should have won and all that is it oh it, it doesn't come down to more so these guys like like teams having guys who just underperform or does it have more so to do with some like defense like defenses being like playing better like what in the algorithm kind of like shows what's that? the difference yes yeah. yes this is like this has like been the number one thing i've been studying the last week honestly mm-hmm. And the number one, like, variability to the real score to the expected score, so, like, in these crazy games, like like that Alabama-Stanford game, that providence uh, creating game, it's when teams miss an inordinate amount of easy shots. So if that's a catch-and-shoot three or if that's a layup. So, like, in these particular games, when Denzel Mahoney only scores five points and is supposed to have 15, that's so unrealistic and inconsistent with his data set that it's just going to spit out of creating 10 extra points, obviously, because he's such a great finisher. Same thing with uh, Alabama when um, Petty misses 10 catch and shoot threes in a game when he's supposed to hit like four of them. That's going to be a significant difference in the score. So that's 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 usually how the difference goes. So it breaks down from an individual. So <clears throat> so if Denzel under like if Denzel Mahoney underperforms his his baseline and someone overperforms, someone else on the team overperforms theirs, like let's say Christian Bishop hits three threes and Denzel Mahoney misses all of his. Like, does that – It's a trade-off. Does, yeah, it's a yep. trade-off, but, and it, but it, it factors into team performance. Like, it, it won't – Yeah, but they both – Yeah. Obviously, yeah, exactly. Gotcha. So, like, in that game, let's see if anyone overperformed. Um, yeah, so Ryan Calbrenner – I don't even know how to pronounce Kalk that. Brenner, yep, yeah. Yeah, Kalkbrenner. Yeah, so he had six points. But based off the shots he took, he was only supposed to have four. So, like, there's obviously – that's not a big trade-off, but that's still a trade-off. And sure. that's going to be included in the totals, obviously. Yeah. What about – what about what was David Duke's percentage on the banked-in three that he hit late in the game? <laughs> Do you know the time of it? Uh, well, what time it was, was it at? Oh, like, what can, was it? I, I feel like it was, like, minute 20-something. Well, it was late. It was It was a clutch shot. I'm trying to find it. David Duke. Um, let's see. Isolation off the dribble three. Okay. Yeah, that was uh, – I'm trying to find which one it was. Damn it. It was late in the game. I don't it know was if, low. if you have timestamps time or not. but Yeah, it, it was low. It was like below 1.1 for sure. <laughs> Did we realize how much more playing time I would have got with this? Like with, with this data? <laughs> I would have rounded up know, all right? my guards. All my garbage time minutes would have had such – I would have had ammo now. Now I would have been coming to Max office with like, yo. <laughs> well, this is like Simon needs, Simon, needs to, <laughs> Simon needed to get into like the runner business and like just find high school recruits. He's like, hey, guys, I can help you kill it at the next level if you just like use this stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's actually what, that's what there's so many there's so many different routes honestly with it i know um, which is obviously a great thing but it's pretty stressful with like the post it's stressful like figuring out what's the best route so like actually this week i'm like releasing some of like the prediction stuff that i mentioned earlier mm. so like using past numbers to predict future games so creighton's next game who's creating play next DePaul, which is usually DePaul. The most, so Kurt- usually the most unpredictable team in the whole entire world so yeah <laughs> But let me tell you what the game, like the score would be in that game. So it would be, it would be. Oh my gosh, it, it's Creighton home. Yep. Okay, so it would <laughs> probably be like eight, maybe like an eighteen point spread or something absurd. Really? Just because Creighton's playing better than expectation and DePaul's worse. So we'll yeah. see what happens. But I might bite my words. But I mean that that would be with the shot quality. Well, not that you'll bite your words, but there are there are a little bit another another variable here is that Creighton's coming off of a will be coming off of a 10-day layoff essentially so they'll it'll be their first game in 11 days DePaul um just played St. John's last night so does that matter at all like and how much see this is another issue with the data set because yes you could make an argument that 10 days off will hurt the team but you could also make an argument that 10 days of rest will benefit yeah it is like a balance right so that's why like Michigan against Michigan the other day against um Wisconsin Yep. So that was a perfect example. I guess they were sloppy in the first half, but they pummeled them in the second half, and they were on like a 30-day COVID layoff. Mm-hmm. So I guess you could you could say the poor play in the first half was due to that. We could also say the great play in the second half was due to rest. So I, I don't know. That's that's too hard to answer, honestly, with real numbers. And it's been different, too, because Louisville is a team that – like some teams have come out of these pauses, and they've been competitive or they've won. You know, they've, they've handled it okay. Louisville has come out of two pauses and gotten boat raced. Yep. I mean, they got they got beat by what was it, thirty seven to Wisconsin, and then forty five last night. What what are those Damn, performances? Yeah. What are those performances tell you, if anything, when they're coming out of those? I mean, that's not going to be something. Hopefully, for for the love of God, we better not be dealing with this in, again. Yeah, going forward, where we're coming out of pauses for crying out loud. But when Louisville, like a team like Louisville, now they've got two. Uh, two games where they've come out of these pauses and just laid absolute eggs all over the court. Um, does th- Do you know which games those were? So I can see this. Uh, so Louisville, Wisconsin was the first one. So yep. I think, and then last night was North <laughs> I mean, Carolina. Yeah, North Carolina was last night. Yeah, so both of those games, they got terrible quality shots. So that's interesting fact. It wasn't even that they like missed easy shots. It was just they got terrible looks. Okay, so, so they were totally out of sync then totally out of sync like it wasn't even like they were missing open threes it was more so that they were turning the ball over a lot getting dominating the boards by unc stuff like that gotcha so yeah do turnovers factor in do you do you do you grade possessions essentially or do you just grade shots uh no turnovers is like the biggest thing so basically it's a zero so so that's like that's a big difference uh that's obviously going to be yeah so like in a game that created gets 20 turnovers Mm -hmm. no matter how great shots they get it's going to be an issue uh, for the total expected score. Actually, Coach Mack wanted me to separate turnovers from the shot attempts, which I'm planning on doing after this year, I think. Because yeah, that's what I think too. A team like Creighton, like, even though they don't turn the ball over that often, there will be some games where they do. And to understand that they're still getting good shots is important and differentiating from turnovers. And that was so funny that Coach Mack was like, he like emailed me about that, and I'm totally going to – um, live up to that and change it so yeah that was a good idea yeah because that's the one thing i know for and, and jordan can speak to this from the locker room speeches but if creighton has a poor uh poor decision making or poor ball handling game mac won't even mention like shots or stats like anything else he'll be like 
We were sloppy with the ball. We didn't make right decisions this way. We didn't get in the feet, get in the paints at our feet and make plays for other people. Like he'll, his narrative will totally be on that. And he won't even mention the shots, like the field goal percentage or anything like that. He won't even talk about it. So that's interesting. Well, no, he, he would always bring that up, though, because just in practice, like he preaches that because he's like, the worst thing we could do is turn over the basketball because that's a chance we don't get to take a shot. Mm-hmm. He's like, and you yep. know, like how, and especially with the frequency in which the Creighton offense likes to like uh, put up shots, it's like, that's the worst thing you can do because it's like what a Mitch at the end of the buzzer three mm-hmm. is like just hoisting that up. Think about that. It's significantly better than just not getting a shot up at all. Correct. Yeah. 100%. So it's like, that, 100%. like, like having that is, is key and knowing that. So that's why I, yeah, I think it'll be actually interesting to see when you take it out and turnovers are a whole different thing. Yeah. I mean, honestly with turnovers, it's more predictive, like holistically for a team because a team like Tennessee, like they don't get great shots on offense, but they don't Mm -hmm. turn the ball over. So Mm -hmm. it aids their offense overall. Mm -hmm. Creighton does both. They don't turn the ball over often and they get great shots. So that's just going to aid their offense. But seeing a team like I'm trying to think of a team that turns it over a lot. That's still really good. Uh, I can't even think of one, but a team like that yeah, would be interesting. That, that says still getting good quality shots. So, yeah. yeah, that pretty much tells yeah, you. I can't even think of a team. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That says <laughs> a lot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Turnovers are just so impactful, obviously. Yeah, so uh, well, who are some of your favorite teams in the country? And are they, are they your favorite teams in the country because they look good in your metric? Or is it like, do you see how they play, then translate it to your metric, and then go, oh, yeah, that's just a really good basketball team right there? Like, Who are some of the ones that like, you know to you? If, if like, I, I found, like, a fanboy here, but, like, if you ask my roommates, I would 100% say Creighton. I mean, Colgate, obviously, one. Really? But Creighton's, two, like, lock. Because just the way they pay, like, pace, space, layups, threes, it's just, like, the most beautiful basketball to watch. I actually texted you at, during the Villanova game. Yeah. just like, this is, this is, this is incredible. Like, I, this is, like, this is, like, the greatest it, game to watch. On this podcast, we call it Basketball Nirvana. Basketball Nirvana, <laughs> right, yeah. It is, yeah. Like, I think somebody like Coach Mack, or like NATO, it's like these are the coaches that are going to be touted at the NBA level just because the way they're playing is different than college basketball norms. It's not like Coach Cal shooting 45 mid-range jumpers. Like this isn't like – it's not sustainable to be a blue blood if you're taking four shots, even if you have the best talent on your roster. So like to maximize your players and your team, you got to take the right shots, and that's what teams like Alabama and Creighton are doing. So I love watching them, obviously. Dude, it's so funny. I don't even know if you know this. If you do, if you don't, it's gonna be hilarious to you. But Nate and Mac are boys. Like they are really good friends. Like Nate, I, I'm not I think, surprised. Yeah, prior to last season, prior to last season, like Nate was. Oh. Nate came to practice like in the summer with his Alabama gear and everything, and just like watched practice. Like they're like tight. So I think it's funny that you mentioned I'm both so those dudes because like they are they have the same. You know who's, you know who's the third guy? Um, I'm actually interested in your opinion on him, Matt. Uh, Hoiberg. It's Hoiberg. He does not have the talent right now, but if you're betting on one team to be good in the future, it is the Nebraska basketball team. I'm, really? I'm dead, I, I am dead serious. I, oh, I saw, wow. this. You, I saw you, you can, say you, this you, too, and I almost texted you, you when you, you said it. I was like... You can clip this. You can clip this. I, I'm we will. I can't stock. wait. We are. Oh, I'm, we are. I'm buying stock. If, if, they give, if they give him a fair chance to build the roster, like I'm buying so much stock. The way he plays, he was actually... So he... This is trying to like talk shit but like no, he called do. Do it. yeah so he he called me one day and i was bringing up the alabama team and i was mentioning like the way they play is so similar to you guys and 
he was telling me, yeah, so Coach Henry, whatever, assistant at Alabama, was with him with the Bulls. And a lot of what Nato's adapted was what Hoiberg did in the NBA in Ohio State. Okay. And, like, just the way he plays, if he can get the roster that to construct well with his pace and space and his three-point shooting and everything, like, the way they manufacture catch-and-shoot looks, they just don't hit them because they have bad shooters. But, like, he gets the right look. So I'm, I'm buying stock. So here's the thing. I actually did see you. Yeah, you go first. You go I first. actually did see you tweet this, and I almost hit you up right away. I was like, dude, whoa. Because uh, you're like, if there's, I think you said there's one team you're buying stock on, like going forward, it's Nebraska. And I'm like, really? That's the one you're picking? So, well, it's a low stock, too. Yeah, that's, 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 it's very cheap. Yeah, it's a penny stock. It's a penny stock. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, so with Hoiberg, it's, it's not the, it's not the what it's the who with me. Right. So right now I'm not questioning what he's running or what he's trying to implement. I'm questioning the guys he's paying to bring in the dudes who he wants to do it. If you know what I'm saying? Like they don't have high IQ basketball players. So they're a mess right now in terms of anything else Hoiberg can do. Like Hoiberg's value is inherent in his, what he can do on the whiteboard, what he can teach from a technique standpoint, um, the principles he can instill in guys to, because he doesn't want to be coaching every possession. He wants to let those guys go out there and, and do their thing, and then his system will take care of itself at the end of the day. Right now, he has a bunch of like guys who just don't understand the game at a high level. So yep. they're trying to run his system, which the problem with Nebraska is like they try to play with pace. Well, if you play with pace with a bunch of dudes who don't understand the basketball, they're going to make a lot of mistakes. 100%. So that's just yeah. what I see right now. So and right think, now, think- they used to, you mentioned they don't have the right guys in there, but they brought all those guys in. So that's the problem that I have right now is there's a disconnect between what they're attracting in terms of talent versus what they want to do. I don't, I don't question Hoiberg from a schematic standpoint. I question it from a, what they bring in to execute it. That's, that's, where they're, that's why but they're I- terrible right now. Yeah, and I'm and I'm saying that it's not his fault. I think that's a gotcha. I think that's a fault of being in the Big Ten and being recognized as the worst team in the Big Ten. Like if you had, like Jordan, let's say you were like a top prospect coming out of high school and you were just shooting just deciding between two schools, Creighton, who's been super successful uh, in their division, or Nebraska, who's got a great coach but hasn't won in ten years. Like it's just not a great argument, despite saying that he's an NBA coach. Like it's just hard, I think, to bring those high level guys like why not choose why not choose um michigan state or like like schools that have had a track record of being successful yeah. over nebraska so i think that's more of the issue for him and i think he'll probably solve it out soon that makes sense i mean yeah he's got a five-star coming in next year so it's it's coming slowly very slowly but <laughs> in theory it's I'm, coming you you were, you were nice about it Honestly, I'm just like, that's – and you can buy stock, Simon, but I'm just like, honestly, Nebraska, they're just going to always – they're going to struggle to get dudes still for a while. Yeah, I guess, no, they in will. In my opinion, it's just – because dudes are – like, the scenario you just broke down for a while, I just don't think they're going to be like, yeah, let me – like, I know we can – you could preach the system there and you could preach this – that Hoiberg can do all, all these things. Yep. But, I, I mean, college basketball is such a short window now – Dudes don't want to go somewhere where it's like, oh, in two years it's going to be this great offense, and that's what you're saying. And for a place like Nebraska, especially in the Big Ten, I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, that's, I know. No, that's it, the it, – go ahead, Simon. It's a talent. It's a talent acquisition. So, like, 
the reason I'd buy stock in them is because if, 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 if they can get the talent, I know the system is going to work. Okay. Like imagine like if you switch, as you switch rosters with Creighton's roster with, this is actually a really interesting stock. You switch Creighton's roster with Nebraska's roster. Okay. I don't, I don't think they have that different of records, honestly. Like, like I, Coach Mack is an incredible coach, but I think Corey at that level just doesn't have the roster. And that isn't an insult to the Creighton basketball team at all because I know I'm on a Creighton podcast, but I just think that they oh, have cool. the ability to be that successful with the roster. Yeah, I mean, that kind of makes – I mean, it does make sense. At the end of the day, the, the guys who win the game to the players. So, yeah, um, you're not – yeah, you're not off base with that. I just – the thing that – the thing that I wonder about Hoiberg, and I don't want to get too far into the Nebraska analysis here, uh, <laughs> but like he's far removed from Iowa State, in my opinion. Not only from the successes of what he did there, but also the way he did it. I, you know, back when he was winning at Iowa State, there was a whole bunch of like he was kind of like on the cutting edge of bringing in all these essential like transfers and just guys who had chips on their shoulder and something to prove at this level. Like the guys he all brought in, the guys he brought in like that, everyone's bringing in those types of dudes now. Yep. I mean, it's like the market has expanded the net. You're casting a wider net now because everybody's in on those dudes. So the innovation is gone from that aspect of it. And then I don't know how much of the shine worn off from the bulls, but I have to imagine some of it because now, oh, totally. as, a Bulls, years, yeah. as a Bulls fan, Three as years. a Bulls fan, we can talk about the front office screw-ups like until I'm dead and gone. There have been so many. So they never got him. They never put a roster together for him to actually play his preferred style. Um, and then I just imagine that just broke his will at some point, and then all the other stuff came into play where he's like, yeah, he doesn't seem fiery or motivated and all that garbage. Like he seems fiery and motivated at Nebraska, but it's again he's fallen into the same trap where they they don't have the roster to play his style. So yep. when I'm trying to map out their future, uh, I'm not confident they're going to be a good basketball team until they have some high IQ dudes running around, taking the right shots, making the right plays, not turning the ball over. I mean, for God's sake, their last possession against Illinois is like a microcosm of everything Hoiberg is dealing with right now. <laughs> He literally called a timeout, drew some magic up on that whiteboard, sent five dudes out to do it uh, like a millisecond later, and none of them had a clue. So <laughs> what's Hoiberg supposed to do? You know what I mean? There's only so much you can do from an X's and O's standpoint and a schematic standpoint. If you send five dudes out there right out of the timeout to execute, which you just drew up on a whiteboard, no play in between. We have 6.6 seconds to do or 15.6 seconds to do this. And this is what we're going to do. And then they go out there and none of them move. Like none of them moved. They're like, they all looked confused. Like he had just drew, like he just drew a Latin passage on the whiteboard. Like, what was that? Like none of them said, wait, I'm confused. None of them said that in the timeout. They all walked out on the court, said, yes, coach, one, two, three, break, whatever it is, whatever BS they use. And they all just stood there like little lost puppies. Like, uh, okay. You know what I mean? That's what yeah. he's dealing with. So if I'm buying stock in that. I'm holding off on a minute. I mean, it's cheap stock. You're not lying about that. So it's good to get on the ground floor, I guess. Right. 
this this could this could be this could be Apple in the eighties or Amazon in yeah. the early two thousands. Oh my god! Or ga- you did not just compare Nebraska <laughs> basketball to Apple on this podcast. He did though, and we don't edit. He did that. that? Like, that's, he that's, did that. That's, that's live. Oh, that's, that's, no, that's it's not blockbuster. It's not blockbuster. It's not okay. blockbuster. I'm telling you. Here's uh, so yeah. Just leave that tweet up. I'm gonna screenshot it so you can't delete it. We'll see. <laughs> it's okay. Though. Can't, listen, man, you can't jump into this world without some crazy hot takes that don't that fizzle out eventually. So this is true. It's just this, this is, is true. Yeah. Oh, okay. Maybe this will be this your first true. one. Um, yeah, my, but the so thing is that my opinions, like I like I'm a, I'm an opinionated dude, but obviously the numbers on the site aren't necessarily dictated. Like that's just objective stuff. But yeah, I'm still allowed to have my own stupid opinions, obviously separate from that. Oh, <laughs> like same, bro. I, I I believe in load management in college basketball. Don't worry. <laughs> he does. Yeah. <laughs> Simon's like, please don't ever do load management. That I'll throw my variables all out of whack. Yeah, that'll throw all yeah. your numbers off. So don't you're like you like you want to create smaller sample sizes in a thirty game season. What is wrong with you, man? <laughs> Very true. Hey man, Very true. I just want so, I just want my guys to be healthy at the end of the year for sure, for sure. So like, uh, but uh, okay. So on a predictive basis, we'll give you Nebraska, and we'll call that a long term play. We won't, we won't, we, it, you know, when they lose out the rest of the season, we won't give you too much shit for that. But uh, oh, no, not yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah. I don't expect them to be successful this season. Yeah. But if you start calling some harder shots, like when Bryce McGowan's gets there and you're like, oh, yeah, they're going to be an NCAA tournament team this year, we're going we're gonna to be monitoring that pretty closely. <laughs> oh, yeah. Give me your other, give me your other, uh, I mean, I guess it's NCAA tournament time. Give me the teams that you like right now to make um deep runs like second weekend and beyond just the teams that you feel like are the most consistent in your metrics the most balanced too because offense and defense is a big deal so how many teams are kind of in that range of um getting great shots while also doing a great job of protecting the rim you know getting defensive rebounds creating turnovers not allowing quality shots like how does that work into it yep so i'm gonna go through a few teams honestly number one I'm going to sound like a fanboy, but the number one team, I think, just because of what their seed will be in representation of how good they are, let's say Craig's a three seed, right? Is that like a fair approximation at this point? Yeah, I mean, I think so, but right now they're like what do you four think? or five yeah. right now, probably. Oh, four. Okay, exactly. Yeah, so that would be like right now they're, Dude, they're the not, they weren't team. in the top 16 in the bracket reveal. Like, I'm, I, it's like, like I said, if you want to smash on the net, go right ahead because all Okay, these, yeah, that's. Yeah. The, I'm like, I'm not even going to like even think about it. That. Yeah. So like <laughs> of the, like of the teams, like right now on the shot quality side, like the top four teams are all probably going to be one or twos, mm-hmm. but then creating the fifth team, the fifth overall team on the shot quality site, offense minus defense overall, they're going to be a four or five and they're going to be so, so dangerous against any of these teams that they play. So yeah, like they're, they're my, one of my, not Cinderella's, but one of my picks locked in already. Like, I just believe in them. The other one, this is kind of a contentious pick because they haven't played well the last five games. And, like, honestly, these fans hate me because I post so much about them. It's Tennessee. <laughs> like, the, the, like, the Tennessee team, their quality of shots have actually, like, gone down recently. Okay. Uh, in the last uh, five games. I saw that. But that, they, that, that jives with the yeah, eye test, like, honestly. they just haven't been as good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, they had has. But their performance in the first – like 10 games or so before that, like was just so impeccable that I'm still buying some stock in them. Like as a three or four seed, I think they're going to be dangerous. Like they don't turn the ball over. They're the one of the best defensive teams in the paint. And, um, and they just, 
draw fouls. Like they do everything well besides maybe take the right looks. Okay. So I, I think they're dangerous in the tourney. And then I guess the third team, <laughs> let's see. Uh, Loyola Chicago. Like they're real actually. Like it's kind of funny because like they're like the MVC, but they're actually real. Like they're, they're like the 11th best team on the site and they'll probably be like a 10 seed, which is just so dumb. Really interesting. So yeah, get, let's break it down a little bit from, let's just take those three teams. So right now, you said Tennessee is one of them, one of those three that you mentioned. And it's ba- uh, now to preface it, Simon is based on seeding versus expected results. So it's not like he's just jumping on the one seed and saying they're good. Um, so Tennessee right now, you said doesn't take great shots though. So there's a little bit of a there's a little bit of like an oxymoron play there, right? Your shot your shot quality uh, based metric, but they don't take good shots. Like so, what what throws them? up into the elite grouping for you um, despite the fact that they don't take the greatest shots on offense. So this is where shot quality gets a little confusing. And Jordan, this is what I was mentioning earlier with like Moses Moody, like they technically don't take good looks, but even these mid range shots, like they're not terrible. I mean, they're really bad looks like from like a grand scheme of things, but they're not like the worst looks you could possibly take for their players, if that makes sense. And then also because they do everything else well, offensively offensive rebound and don't turn the ball over and draw fouls their offense holistically is pretty good. Mm. Does that make sense? And that's where shot quality is still picking up on them as a good team, even if they're technically like they take bad shots overall because they don't take shots at the rim in three. That makes sense, though, just because weirdly enough, I just have looked at some of the numbers you've put. Uh, even I think because the Tennessee stuff creates a rise on Twitter when you post it. Like, I think I see that stuff the most. But just in following that, like I've seen even just – that I think with them, I think it's more telling that it's like they're like they don't necessarily take good shots, but they take decent shots for them. And it worked out at the beginning of the year, and now like they've hit a lull. Now it's starting to so, backfire. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. And I I, I kind of just could tell that from just seeing how their season went. And now it's like they can't find any offense because those bad those shots that were like just going in, I guess, for streaks are not going in. So how much have you actually noticed like? of your metric like shows how teams are streaky mm. Oof, that's a good question um like alabama is probably mm-hmm. the streakiest team like they were so yes. behind their expectation mm-hmm. at the beginning and then now like the last like 15 games they're way above their expectation they're playing over their heads a little bit yeah and they're still a great team but they're playing over their heads a little bit tennessee like consistently has been like up and down, up and down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but their highs are highs. Like they, they blow out some teams just because they're really good. But this, this is a weird stat about them. So they, in terms of rim and three rate, which is basically how often you get a look at the rim and three. So Creighton, first of all, is uh, Creighton's top. Uh, I was about to Creighton? say, I bet. Top ten. Let's see. Creighton, <laughs> they're not number one. Okay. They're, 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 they're like 30th. Uh, okay. Tennessee is 341st. So it's kind of crazy that, yeah, they don't take shots. Like they take so many mid range and they're still a high value offense just because of everything else they do on the floor, which is kind of interesting. Wow. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. I might, I'm just going to plug my computer. Oh, you're good. This might change the way I even like watch games from now on. Same. I actually thought that when you were saying it earlier, because I was like, I can't like, since we've kind of started to bring just, I remember even, as far as I started thinking shot quality, now when I watch the games, I'm not thinking about – you said it. I'm not watching for 
a good shot and a make. I'm, I mean, I'm not watching for just a make. I'm yeah. watching for a good shot and right. a make. I know. I'm like, I want the two to yeah. work in unison, for, especially for this data, right? Like, I'm like, I need the two. I need it to be like a high percentage shot every time and just be cash. Like, yeah. It's one crazy. of my good friends at home, he texted me. One of my good friends at home, he texted me. So like, whatever, we watch every net game I've seen. Or like texting and he texted me like, you honestly ruined basketball for me. Like now, now I'm watching <laughs> Alfred Payton take these floaters. I'm watching oh, Alfred yeah. Payton take these floaters and just screaming at the TV. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> That's the way I am watching Nebraska. I watch Nebraska a lot because uh, one of my buddies covers the team. So it's like, so now I'm like, I almost like have to analyze. We text back and forth during games. So I want to analyze Nebraska a little bit. And ever since I, now that I have these like, you know, this idea of a quality possession in my mind that just like is all of a sudden amplified. I'm just like, that's a stupid turnover. That's a poor decision. That's a bad shot. It's like, I don't even watch the game anymore from a standpoint of, um, you know, I'm a Michael Jordan fan growing up. So I used to just like wanted to watch a dude just kind of take over a game and make a bunch of stupid things be like, he makes a bunch of stupid shit look great because he's great. Right. Like not everybody can go out and take the shots that Michael Jordan can take or make the plays that Michael Jordan can make. But because he's Michael Jordan, he can do that stuff. Like, that's why I think the game kind of, like, misinterpreted Michael Jordan's greatness because you had this whole and one era that came up behind him. It was like the Iverson thing. Iverson was a high-volume badass, too. So the and one, like, the and one era came up after that. They're like, okay, I just got to be, like, super awesome one-on-one, like, do all this crazy stuff, fadeaways and, like, crossovers, like, you know, 50,000 crossovers to get a guy on tilt. And it's like they kind of lost, got lost in the sauce a little bit there. So, like, yeah, those dudes are like Hall of Famers. Chill, like that's just that's just individual greatness you're watching there. So, yeah, I have watched the game a little bit differently now that I try to analyze quality of a possession. Jordan, you made me honestly uh, with your question earlier. I just wrote down something that I'm going to add to the site. Uh, the, oh the shit! Thing you said about like the variability stuff, like talking about like teams, like how often they change. Like, I think that's a great feature to show, like, on a team page. Like, Creighton, like, in the first game, what was their adjusted shot quality? And then in the 10th game, like, if we looked at Tennessee's, it would be, like – no, sorry, I'm on a podcast. I can't really show you my No, hands, I know, I know. Like, I know. Like, and then it would go yeah, down. We got a YouTube page. No, it makes we'll, so we'll, much we'll sense. show it. We'll clip it. We'll get it. Yeah, good. no. Yeah, they can see you. It just <laughs> – it makes so much sense, though, because it's just – it's an indicator of consistency right and it's just like exactly it helps it helps teams with the identity because like you even talked about it earlier like the i think your metric is just so good because it's such a great team statistic Mm -hmm. it's so telling of your team and it like is like with what we're saying like think of the creighton versus the tennessee right now just like we're saying the difference is it's just like the identity of the team is in the shot quality like it literally it's, it's right there because it's like where tennessee is up and down Creighton's right here and then, they're consistently so taking great looks exactly yeah and so because they're consistently doing that then you're able you're you're much it's much easier to figure out why you lost that game and it's much easier to figure out what went wrong like where with tennessee if you're taking exactly. a bunch of shots you're like oh well we got to get better like that's it's we got to get better shots which is much harder to do than be like you know what this was just an off game or we just got to make an adjustment here on defense like much different that's the one thing i don't know if like simon if you feel this way but like watching creighton i'm trying to think of a game where i felt like um if if shots go in or out they they the result 
like they still suffer the same result essentially, whether it's a win or a loss. Like where they had no, where they were, where like I guess I'm trying to say is where I felt like their performance lagged in terms of like things that they could have controlled better to dramatically change the outcome. And it's like, for the most part, it feels like they've all been kind of like right in line with everything. Like the Kansas game, they missed out on some, and I don't want to like get into too much of like the uncontrollables, but because they missed out on plenty. There are always games where you miss out on stuff you could have done better. And from a coaching standpoint, I understand that. But they should have won that game based on shots they took and everything. Well, yeah. go, actually, yeah. let's go through it right now. Go through it. What's, what does the Kansas game tell you? Creighton, what's the expected result of Creighton, Kansas in your in your? So match? they lost by one, and they were supposed to win by six. So it's not that like is, a crazy discrepancy. That's it right there. Totally. I totally, yeah. would have, I totally would have agreed with you that Creighton played – up to the up to yeah. the level that they, even though they were chasing the game most of the way and Kansas was leading late before Denzel uh, got it tied up with that seven zero run, um, I, I thought Creighton. I thought Creighton. I thought based on shot quality, Creighton should have won that game. Based on shot quality, turnovers, all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, Coach Mack isn't listening to this, but I remember after that game, like I sent out Mailchimp emails to all the coaches. I think he clicked on it like 35 times or something <laughs> because he was probably just like, so like, I don't like so pissed that like he didn't get that high major win against this great team um, right. that they deserve to get. But yeah, I mean, they got great quality looks. So what can you do? For sure. So what's, what's one good performance from Creighton that's totally out of whack with your system. Like where, where what game have they out overperformed the most so far this year? It's the, it's the Providence one. one. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah. Like, like they don't have, Oh, Rich Dean Hall one. Um, well, the first one they went by thirty six. So yeah, that's what I was about to say. That's what I was thinking. About. <laughs> oh, you, oh, you mean biggest difference? Yeah. yeah what's exactly. what's what's Creighton's largest overperformance so far this year? Like where they've totally overshot. Overperformed. Yeah. It's Seton Hall. You're right, Jordan. Yeah. So they they won by thirty six, but based off the shots they got, they're only supposed to win by nine. Really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it, wow. It's, they were yeah, up by forty. They were, by, they were up by forty two in that game. <laughs> yeah. Them. That's crazy. And those are some of the ones that are hard to grasp for coaches, but like that's a game where you're overplaying way over your heads and the other team is underplaying by so much. Um, well, it happens both ways. I mean, obviously for creating like the Kansas and the Providence game. It's not totally out of whack though, because I remember Mac talking about when he was leading into the Seton Hall game, I think he kind of knew that they overperformed a little bit because I don't know if he was using, utilizing your metric at that time because he didn't cite it, but he said he felt like Creighton that his team overperformed in Seton Hall didn't play up to their level. And so, like, the second – the rematch was – I mean, I don't even know what the re- – what, what does the rematch look like? Creighton won by four. What was the expected result? Um, the rematch was they won by ten. So, very consistent with the first expected score. So okay. They won by nine the first time, ten the second time. Okay. Interesting. Even though, even though the real played, score was so different. The so, they the won by – so like they, they played the same game, won by 36 instead of one by nine. One, one by four instead of one by ten. That's crazy. It's a, yeah. I don't even know how you would sleep you just, as a coach trying to think about that stuff. <laughs> like, that is crazy, know, it's crazy, right? Because it's like then it's like then it's like what was what was the factor that you didn't control? Yeah. Why was it, why was it? What set that off? What changed? Just makes it? and misses. It's just makes yeah. And that probably I guess I guess in a roundabout way it would make you sleep better because if it just makes and misses then you're you know yeah we're ten points better than Seton Hall. Yeah, yeah, we're ten points better than Seton Hall exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. interesting yeah so just uh you mentioned so anyway you mentioned tennessee creighton and loyola so you've talked a lot about creighton here so let's move on to um loyola why do you like them um for an for a potential NCAA tournament run like what 
what stands out to you in both in not only their metrics as you break them down, but just um, why you think they can make a run? Yeah. So a team like this that just doesn't have the best strength of schedule is always hard yeah. to grasp and really right. quantify like how good they really are. But like there was a point in the season where I think it was like the eighth game that they were just randomly like the eighth best team on the site. And that's just because of the quality looks they're getting against these uh, MVC teams is just so incredible that it puts them on the same tier as like these great teams like Michigan and Ohio state, which is just absurd to think about. But when you beat teams like Northern Iowa and Indiana state by 25 expected points, mm-hmm. you're a really, really good team. So like what they do really well in terms of all of college basketball, they're the third best, third most efficient shots when attacking the rim, the fifth most efficient when shooting threes and the 23rd best in defending shots against the rim. And just yeah. those three right there will put you, if you have those three metrics, like you're, you're guaranteed to be like a top 10 team in college basketball, just because like that's absurd to be those high and those three variables that are so important, obviously. Interesting. So do, does Loyola utilize your system then? Do they, do they track shot quality and everything like that? No, I, I talked to their video core. I think I like DM them once, but no, they don't use it. Oh wow! So they could probably unlock even more if they were trying to do this intentionally, huh? Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> do you uh, do you do um, do you do individual performance evaluations at all? Do you have a performance rating for individual players? Because we talked a little bit about yeah, Mitch's so like each, uh, percentiles and whatnot. Like, yeah. So, so who are the best? Who so are the best player. players in the country? Who are the best players in the country according to shot quality? Uh, number one is uh, pretty much expected, like over. Let's say like 300 possessions minimum. Let's just do. Okay. Um, it's Corey Kispert. It's not even close. Like he's like, mm. and that's crazy because he he's a point guard wing, and usually like wings would be or point guards would be under undervalued because they turn the ball over so much compared yep. to bigs. Mm-hmm. Bigs just don't have the opportunity to turn the ball over as much. But even with that, he's still the most efficient player in the country, which is just ridiculous. Obviously. Interesting. And then Luca Garza is right there with him. Um, obviously. Okay. Are there any surprises? Are there any? Oh, go ahead, Jordan. No, Kispert's only not surprising because I'm like, yeah, I guess when you're, what the best shooter on a team with four other NBA players, it's like, yeah, you'll probably get great shots. Like, and yeah. you know how to create, of course you'll probably get sure. great shots. Like, always. You, you're yeah. not gonna have to work too hard, so they'll be good. No. quality. Like, so. so easy for him. Yeah. And then the third guy, I mean, we're just staying on par with the best offenses, like we mentioned earlier, Matt. Like, um, Drew Timmy's third in the country. Like, yeah, third. Timmy's really good. Gonzaga's two of the third best players in terms of offensive shot quality efficiency. Like, obviously, they're going to have the best offense just based yeah. off them, too. Mm-hmm. So let's zone into the Big East a little bit. Like, who are the best players in the Big East right now, according to your metrics I was gonna ask on performance that. ratings? Yeah, let's see. Um, I know Marcus is up there. Actually, I don't have a way to sort by Congress. I can only sort by team. Sucks. Oh well, let's let's. I gotta add that. Let's add that to the list. Let's add that to the list. I'm gonna contact my web developer right after this, baby. Nice. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't have an easy way to tell you without telling you that Marcus and uh, Christian Bishop are probably one, one, two, and three. Okay. okay. So whatever. I don't even care if it sounds like a Homer podcast at this point or not, but the whole narrative on Marcus <laughs> this year, the whole narrative on Marcus this year has been like, he's underperforming 
these preseason expectations. Yeah. And I only have bait. I only have like the old fashioned numbers to go off of, but his numbers this year are right in line with where they are last, last year. In fact, he's turning the ball over less than he was last year. His free throw percentage is higher. His three point shooting is right in line. The only thing that he hasn't done at the same level as last year is make shots around the rim. So exactly. So I'm like, okay, so you, you, we have this, like we have, I, I don't know what happened with, when Marcus was declared preseason player of the year in the big East, but the baseline for him just shot through to the moon essentially. And now essentially he's been like a disappointment when you go back and just look at the pre preview narratives of every Creighton game that's been on national television so far this year, it's like, yeah, Marcus is struggling at this. Like, yeah, he's not doing up to, up to a par with this. And it's like, are you actually watching these games? Are you seeing these stats? Like what, what part of it is not living up to it? So it's like, I, I'm laughing now because I've been rolling my eyes at this all year. And you say, according to your metrics, that Marcus Zagorowski is the first name you can think of when best players in the big East. Yeah, exactly. And it's the, it's the areas that like aren't always the most efficient is where he capitalized like off dribble threes. Yeah. He's it's basically, it's basically a 40% shot when he takes an off the dribble three, which is absolutely bonkers. If you really that think about crazy. that, that's like, Steph like Curry. That that's like, like Steph Curry level. Like seriously, yeah, it yeah. is. It is. He's in the 98th percentile now for dribble threes, which is That's insane. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. So what are his – He's been on the his... podcast a few times, right? Yeah, we've had Has him once so far. Yeah, he's a, he, yeah, he's yeah. a great friend You're of the program. Great. He is. You're the follow-up to his, his episode, actually. <laughs> um, That's funny. Yeah, do you – I don't know if you – do you have a – do you have, like, decision-making uh, metrics at all for point guards, like assist, uh, turnover ratio, all that kind of stuff? I don't know, that factor in. So some of, some of the passing – yeah, no, no. So some of the passing stats, I, I should have gone through this earlier, honestly. Yeah, this is what Coach Hudson and Mac were really into at the beginning. So basically, uh, I'm sure you've had plenty of games, Jordan, where you make great passes and the guys just don't hit shots in those particular games. So like what? We lost you. Shot quality. Are you muted? So like there will be, there'll be some game. Oh, what just happened? Did my microphone just turn on? Your audio is going in and out a little bit. You're good. No, my headphones turned off. It's all good. Whenever you're ready. You have to start back over. Though, right, my bad. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're yeah. about to get into I got it. To... I was ready. Yeah. No, I was a bad manager. I'll restart. Um, yeah, so some of the passing metrics that, uh, that Chalk Quality breaks down is basically there will be so many games where point guards – make like 10 passes to wide open catch and shoot shooters to open layups. And they just don't follow even to fouls. Like these are things that like are so out of the control of the passer. And I think that's unfair. Like I actually came up with this as one of the Colgate guys on the team because he was pissed that he'd have some games where he makes like 10 passes to wide open players and they just miss them. And then he looks at the ESPN box score and it says two assists. So it's bullshit. So like, um, <laughs> That's what tracks is the expected assist total based off the passes you're making in these games, which is obviously really important. That's a good, that's a good, that's a good metric. I like that one. So like, uh, you know, I guess just looking around the league, like Jeremiah Robinson Earl is probably the front runner right now for player of the year. I feel like his game is gone. Like you can even see it in his, you know, in his, in his range stats, like he's shooting better. Um, in the mid range from three, and that just opens up everything else because he was already an absurd finisher inside. So he seems like right now the front runner for Player of the Year in that in that conversation with Marcus and uh, and everybody else. Like, 
what does he look like in your in your system? I actually just found a pretty cool game with those stats. So this Connecticut creating game, yeah. Uh, when Creighton won by eight, I'll just go this quickly. Um, Marcus had two assists in this game, yep. but based off the passes he made, it was just five. So that was just one game where like he made great looks and just like the guys didn't hit him in that game. Um, yeah. But let me go back to Jeremiah. So Jeremiah, he's really, <laughs> it's fine. So he's really efficient in long mid range. He's like. He's like one of the more – he's the 91st percentile in long mid-range shots, which is pretty rare. Um, too. But besides that, he, he takes a lot of different variety of shots. Mm-hmm. And he's not like particularly any of them besides long mid-range. Like his drive to the baskets in the 28th percentile. He's catching shoots in the 45th. He's like all around the middle in all these areas actually. Okay. It's pretty surprising. Interesting. Huh. Hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed that one. I wouldn't either. But go uh, so Christian was another Christian Bishop was another one you mentioned. What is, what's 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 what are some of the uh, elite um, areas of Christian's game on shot quality? Yeah, what's Christian's drive to the basket? Yeah, I feel like that's really <laughs> yeah. That's what I want to know. That's what I. That's <laughs> all I care that about. Is, the rest of this. After podcast. he said, after he said, drive to the basket, my brain went Christian Bishop. What is it? <laughs> Yeah, he's in the 88th percentile on attacks to the hoop, which is that totally absurd. That, that, uh, well, it, it is absurd for a five man to be in the 88th percentile because usually that'd be all guards, right? Wouldn't it be? No, it could be both because technically, like, like I'm sure Luca guards is in the 99th because, like, yeah. he'll catch it in the post and it's yeah. that's still technically a drive if you attack oh, that way. Okay, um, yeah. well, yeah, that's because that's what I was thinking along the lines for Christian because that's what he does. Yeah, so I'll tell you. Time. The most efficient play that Creighton runs is when uh, Christian gets that pick and roll, roll to the basket. That's their most efficient play. That and the Mitchell Ballack, that and the Mitchell Ballack off screen catch and shoot three are back to back. So those are like the two best plays that uh, Creighton can possibly run, and obviously really? it makes sense. Well, so it makes sense because they, they run that. They run, that's probably why they run that a lot then, because they yeah. yeah. <laughs> So yeah, what's sure. the what's uh, like what pl- when Mitch pulls from the parking lot? How how high does that play rank in Creighton's playbook? Uh, so that's not a shot I actually look at specifically on oh, all plays. <laughs> I, I group it together. I group it together. So like, can we make that a priority a transition- on the list? Like when Mitch pulls from the parking lot, is the this it is this it's ranked this in terms of plays in the country? <laughs> I probably should add that. So yeah, um, I, right I'm, now I'm, I'm totally kidding. That's we'll we'll ruin <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll ruin the sport of basketball if we do that. Oh yeah, I'm pulling from the yeah. parking lot tomorrow. Yeah, the basketball gods will yeah. love that one. Man. Yeah, you'll have basketball dudes. Guys. You'll have dudes shooting forty five footers like on the regular. It will not be good. Yeah, I'll stick. I'll stick to the, the suggestions you guys already made with the the, there, there the play draft that Jordan came up with, and then the, adding the conference to the players. I'll, yeah, because when I was going through when I was going through synergy, looking for Mitch's like range or whatever, and looking for players who was who were, who were in his class, if you will, I found like some Oakland dude, some dude from Oakland who was like zero for nine in thirty to forty foot range. My like, dude. Why are you shooting those? Like, <laughs> if you've missed like five, you shouldn't even shoot the six. Like, why are you over? How did you get over nine in that range? You shouldn't be chucking those. I wasn't looking at shot quality. That's why. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. He's like, hey, I can hit this maybe sometimes. Nope. It's <laughs> yeah. not true. You're lying to yourself, sir. If you're listening to this podcast, stop doing that. Um, <laughs> yeah, but like, so, <laughs> so, uh, for Creighton, Creighton's best plays, roll the rim with Bishop or not to roll the rim, just that pick and roll action where he can, where guys come off of that, or he can get the, 
slip up, flip up? Yes. Yeah, so basically, the most efficient plays they create and runs like minimum like eighteen attempts. It's a Christian Bishop cut drop off, which isn't in a pick and roll. That's more just like a layup usually. So that's first actually. That's the most efficient. And then like a dump, like a dump off. Yeah, dump off like a really. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Or to manufacture, but obviously it would be efficient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Then two is the Christian Bishop roll to the basket. Three is Mitchell Ballack transition catch and shoot three. That makes sense if you think about it, because in transition, people are in no defense set up. More open, yeah. And then four is just overall Mitchell Ballack catching like spot up. And then five is Marcus Zigorowski transition catch and shoot three. Interesting. Transition catch and shoot for Marcus, really? Yeah, he's had 20 of them. Hmm. I would think transition pull-up would be more of his thing. Interesting. Yeah, that's – let's see where that is. That is um, – yeah, that's like the eighth best, so right there. Honestly. Oh, okay. All right. It's up there then. Yeah, I was going to say he's super deadly when he's just bringing the ball up and he just like rocks some dude to sleep and then just pulls in their face basically. His off – like pick and roll off the dribble threes are absurd, obviously. So, yeah, that kind of jives with the eye test, right, Jordan, when you think about like what Creighton's awesome at, everything involving Christian Bishop or Mitch Ballack, Yeah. And also, though, I think the first one's also more telling, and that's why I wanted to know if it was a dump-off because I'm like, yeah, that first one, that's that's a Marcus dump-off to Christian. Yeah. That's what that stat actually is. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, that would, that would bring like a Marcus. Or, I mean, I guess anyone, but. Well, it would bring two things into play. It's Marcus's ability to probe and keep the dribble alive without turning it over and Christian's ability to finish, right? Yes, exactly. So a couple of things, yeah. Well, cool, man. I don't even know. I could probably keep asking these dumb questions out of context all day, but I feel like we've picked your brain a lot. Jordan, <laughs> have, we, have we missed anything yet? Is there anything you – No, man. Have to? What, what, I guess what are the – have you done any shot quality on the Knicks? <laughs> yeah, or pro basketball. What, what's, what's the Knicks? started like, like in March when I was like thinking about like running everything. I wanted to do it in the NBA, especially like when the bubble came back. But um, I, I just ended up choosing college basketball that just more more teams and more i like it no well i've had a fun i've had a fun time tapping into shot quality the last time change or whatever so i as as skeptical and i'll say rudely skeptical i was about it early on when i rolled my eyes a bunch about it um yeah i think i i definitely have made a 180 on that one so uh not only just because of simon's sales job but because he's just a cool dude and this stuff seems legit so yeah, I like man. numbers, so it's, it has all the factors. You still in? You still in on shot quality? Yeah, I'm in on shot quality for sure. We'll be. I'm definitely going to keep. Yeah, you got us both. You got. You'll us be. You'll probably be back. I mean, we'll have you. We'll try to have you back on the podcast, like NCAA tournament time for sure. And we can just go. We can just like tell all these like gamblers who they should be picking game by game. Yeah. Maybe me. Yeah, yeah. So bracketology. We'll, we'll skip the bracketology guys, and we'll go to Simon for this one. Can't wait. All right, man. <laughs> Thank you, Simon. Thanks for letting us pick your brain, man. Appreciate you. Yeah. All right, everybody. This was episode 10 of Scurry in the Scrub. Thanks for hanging with us this whole time uh, through these 10 episodes. We got 10 more coming, 100 more coming, maybe, Lord willing. We'll see. Uh, Yeah, we'll We'll just cross off these milestones as we go. But uh, appreciate everybody tuning in. Jordan, appreciate you. Simon, thank you for coming. Always a pleasure. And uh, we will talk to you guys next week.